It's very, it's very difficult. It's, you really need to, have to be from the, the Mediterranean to kind of be uh, able to pronounce it. Hermesh. Hermesh. Can you say that? Hermesh. Yes. Hermesh. <laughs> <laughs> you know Hermesh. Let's try that one again. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Gates podcast with myself, Gregory Harrison, and Elliot Marius. With our special guests today, Nessie Gomez and Lino Hermesh. Yes. Yes. Got there. Almost. Great start. That's a great start. So we like to start things professionally here, as usual. I'm not going to cut any of that out. I'm just going to leave it there. You're going to leave it all in there. Yeah, leave everything in there. Yeah, no, leave it. This podcast is not edited. Ever. (laughs) I haven't got time for that. (laughs) (laughs) Neither of you. (laughs) Thanks for coming around. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So for our Guns Against Geek podcast, for those that don't know you, can, um, can you give us a bit of background? You were Guernsey I'm born? Guernsey, yeah, I'm a Guernsey girl. Um, lived here pretty much most of my life and um, I guess spent the last 10 years on and off away yeah. from the island um, doing my music. I lived in Costa Rica for three years, which is where I met Lino. Um, that was in 2010. And then... We kind of started our journey with the music together, touring. Um, that's my little daughter. That's the little daughter that's here as well. That's yeah, in the background. That's here. not Elliot. No, that's not <laughs> Elliot. <laughs> um, yeah, and we just came back, I guess, a year ago uh, after having our little one. I thought it would be good to be back in Guernsey. Guernsey's a great place for children. Yeah. And also... I've been on the road for a long time, so I kind of felt ready just to put some roots down for a bit. Yeah. Um, so were you playing when you did you grow up playing and singing here in Guernsey and yeah, stuff before like, you moved? And um, I think I got into music quite a young age, like I was fourteen, um, and a bit later I I was kind of playing in Christie's Bistro Bar. Yeah. Illegally, (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I kind of managed to say that I was 18 when I was actually 16. Um, but yeah, and then you know, I was playing all the kind of open mic nights, did cock and ball, spent a lot of time there, and Vail Urfair, did lots of gigs at Vail Urfair when I was younger, and kind of played around with different musicians. And I was in the funk band Dave for a good few years, which was that was great fun. Yeah, so I was really into kind of exploring different genres. What was genres. the scene like that back then? Because oh my god, I don't really. I mean, has it changed a lot since you've gone and come back? It's hard to know because I ha- I'm not also really familiar with the music scene at the moment as well because I have spent quite a bit of time away. Yeah, but um, you know, at the time we, you know, it was no one was doing funk. Yeah. You know, and it was very refreshing. I think anyone's doing funk at the moment, either. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, Islestone are quite close. Yeah, yeah they're, they're quite, quite funky, yeah. young band. But it was great. It was just, it was really kind of just a lot of fun, a lot of alcohol and a lot of <laughs> free bars. And then they kind of caught on, like, okay, we've got to watch these guys. Um, but yeah, we were we were going for a good, I don't know, five, six years. Maybe really? less. Maybe less. Yeah. We always said we were going to split up, but then we always came back together. Um, but yeah, I, 
for me that was a real that was a lot of fun playing in yeah. a band and, and was that all the experimenting just trying to find where you're at as a musician as well yeah or? you know you're at that age you know I think for me as a singer as well back when I was this is before I studied as well like I was I think it's probably quite common and very natural like at that age I was I think I was like 18 19 I was very much into in like how do you say, uh, imitating voices. Yeah. And I hadn't quite found my own voice. Of course, my own flavour was there, but I was still in this in this field of trying to imitate. And because I was in a funk band, I was trying to sound like a soul singer. Um, and it was fun, and it's good to explore and experiment. But then, I guess, later on, when I kind of studied music therapy, I started to explore more of improvisation and started to find my own way of ex- expressing myself through my music and yeah and so, so that led on to go into study in in the UK yeah I studied in Derby for three years because um, I guess for me music my starting point with music was just feeling really shit you know and feeling really lost and um, you know being Portuguese growing up here in the 80s was pretty hard wasn't an easy time then uh, I'm sure for many people for different reasons but that was my experience yeah so I felt quite isolated so it was and an excuse as well maybe to get away and yeah it was like an escape yeah you know and so for, for me music was a really important part of my integration and feeling part of something mm. and feeling that music was like a bridge so community around it yeah you're never without friends if you're a musician. No, right? exactly. Yeah. And you build confidence and you learn things about yourself through music that, you know... I You can be different, I suppose. It's yeah. that thing you can kind of... You can embrace who you are, yeah. you know, and you can start stepping into your, you know, power of who you are. And so, yeah, that, I think for me, my starting point was seeing music as a kind of therapeutic outlet. Mm. And... Um, and that kind of, you know, gave me curiosity to study it as a healing modality. Um, yeah, and I didn't really think I would be doing it as a profession in terms of actually singing yeah. and doing gigs and stuff. I thought it would just be solely, like... Therapy. Teaching. Yeah, and, yeah. But then you travel You currently do a bit of both, though, don't you? I do both now. I do that with Lino. Um, like, yeah, we met in Costa Rica... Three, when was it, in 2010, um, and I spent a lot of, yeah, three years there, and then we kind of felt like it was ready to leave Costa Rica, and we just took this massive leap of faith, um, I had... What, what you to Costa Rica, was it just one of these? It was so random, because I was travelling South America at the time, I had a Guernsey friend in, um, in Costa Rica, she was working with, like, conservation work. And then I decided to go to this community called Pachamama, which is where Lino was living. And um, so I ended up going there to do kind of voluntary work. And we met in my last week. I was supposed to leave to go to Guatemala. But then I met Lino and I decided to What were you doing then in in Costa Rica? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I arrived in 2001 or something. So when she arrived, I was already like 10 years living there. We started like a bunch of hippies in the forest you know, just taking baths in the river and, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll to the max. <laughs> we were really young, you know, young and full of energy. 
And um, we built this place with this community called Pachamama that combines a lot of elements, you know, like uh, the culture of, you know, the, the spiritual culture, but on the same time, they kind of a counterculture, you know, yeah. a, little, a little bit of Goa, India, a little bit of the kind of rave culture. It's all kind of came together. Came together. Yeah. And, and <clears throat> so you're part of that movement, founding that and... Yeah, I was. I, we kind we left. We left in two thousand thirteen. Yeah. You know, because it was time. It was Nessie was a big big part of it because when we met, and we we got together, you know, and I, I heard her voice for the first time, and it was on the second day that we met each other. You know, we had to, we met and. You know, she's Is that stayed. how she wooed you by playing some songs? <laughs> <laughs> she stayed in my house overnight. It was like, wow, we kind of we were both really kind of blown away by this meeting. And the morning after, I took my new girlfriend to the beach. You know, it's like five minutes from the beach, and you know, she had a little guitar. And on the way, um, she she just took the. It was this kind of traveler, probably like ten pounds guitar. Ten pounds guitar, yeah, 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 you know? guitar and, <laughs> and then she was just starting to sing and play in the car, and I, I was I remember like tears falling from my eyes. I was like couldn't believe, wow, this this voice is, what is this? You know, I was really blown away, because I didn't know her much. You know, it was kind of our second day together. She was pro. I think she was playing when those cry of Prince. You know. <laughs> Great and, track. I, and Great I was crying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was crying, and I was, and and then naturally she started to play in the community in in different events, and I, I produced a, a kind of a big festival there, and I, you know, I got her to play. Yeah, you know, um, get on the main stage. Yeah, exactly. You know, I booked her. That's about booking now. Yeah, exactly. Get to the front that, start yeah. a bit quicker than the others. And that was actually the first time I booked her. You know. <laughs> And and at one point it was like yeah all right it's time to leave it's time to I saw what this what this voice or musical presence is doing to people there and I thought we should we should yeah. do, we should do something with it because was that then you was you were in Costa Rica and you're still just playing in the commune and like yeah sort of regularly and everything and it was just that time of like this needs to be. Yeah, well, we, we, we tried to do some things in Costa Rica, but it wasn't really it the wasn't right, it was you know, it's more like it's a, it's a country that it's more around kind of South Central American rhythms, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's not really like foros and like, you know, and so so we just started to to hit the road and see what happened in the beginning. It was really hard. That first, first years. Those first few years was really hard. I think mostly also for you because you've been somewhere for 10 years and then he's left his place, whereas I'd been there only for a few years, you know, so it was a bit easier. For yeah, me. I suppose if you're like, yeah, you've built your whole life around this place and all of a sudden you're like yeah. on the road in... Yeah. Like, I don't know where you, where did you start touring? Was it you go hitting England or were you just no. going up? First, first was Canada. Oh, and, nice. the, and then we, we came to England and then we just started, you know, there was proper one, two years that, you know, we were on our last money just touring, you know, often playing, you know, for free or for very little money or just, just you know, just, just kind trying of. Just trying to get in everywhere. Just right? trying, yeah, just wherever possible, you know. Yeah. 
and it took I think it, it took three four years to stabilize the the emergency situation <laughs> you know so you're doing all of your own savings and yeah every yeah. bit of money we had we just put it straight into the music and to touring and but I guess it didn't really come together until a few years later like we left in 2013 Costa Rica and I reckon those first two years we were just so lost we were and, and that pressure from society, from the families, like, what are you doing? What's your plan? You need a plan. What's going to happen? And, of course, Lena was from Israel originally. I'm from Guernsey. And we had the whole stress of, you know, being in each other's countries for a certain amount of time. And, and having to move. Oh, yeah, and we had to go through a whole process of, you know, applying for a visa. And it was just very stressful and very kind of turbulent on that level. Um so it was, yeah, it was very hard. It wasn't easy at all. And it was only until 2015, Lino put together an Indiegogo campaign for the album. At that time, it didn't seem like such a big thing in the sense that not so... I mean, obviously people were doing it, but it wasn't such a boom of it. Yeah. So it was still quite a good time to do that to kind do of project, it, yeah. whereas now it's a it's bit harder. It's a bit harder. saturated now, yeah. saturated. There's so many people doing it, yeah. and you wonder whether you're going to yeah. get So it was pretty... It was like we felt like existence was on our side because, you know, Lino nearly got kicked out of England because they thought that he was, like, living here illegally. We were like, no, he's not, you know. Mm. And they almost just gave him a month stamp in, instead of six months. Um, so that was really stressful. At the airport, I got like investigated for two hours. You know, we're like, no, it was horrible. And it was just before Christmas. We're like, we we need to like go home. You know, he's not been here. We we visit because he's originally from Israel. I'm from Guernsey, so naturally we're we're visiting a lot the different countries. You know, mm. I go to Israel, but I can only be there for a few yeah. months. And he comes here, can only be here for a few months. So there was a lot of movement, and they couldn't understand it. Anyway, we were lucky. They gave him the six months, which gave us the you know the starting point to actually get a visa for him because we didn't want any more trouble. Mm. But that's also when we took the initiative to start an Indiegogo campaign. Um, and it was pretty amazing because I was so nervous about it. Mm. Lino like literally studied it for about a year, like going through <laughs> all the different videos, what works, what doesn't. You know, like really going into all the details. Um, you know, we made a really great video. In the end, we we raised fifty thousand dollars, wow. Wow. which was Amazing. more than because we were aiming for forty thousand, which was just like that's just ludicrous. Like it's crazy, yeah. You, know, you can't like, imagine, it, especially being on the road with nothing. Yeah, yeah. and people are like, surviving. "Are you sure this is a good idea? Like, are you sure you're gonna get that money?" And but you know, we had a lot of faith because I guess we had this. You know, I had a lot of people behind me in Costa Rica and I did a lot of shows in Israel and, you know, I also had quite a few gigs in the UK. So actually those were the three pots that kind yeah. of really... Did you find together. support from here in Guernsey as well from that? From yeah, little. Little, yeah. yeah it, but it's I, been mainly where you played. It's and kind been of mainly where I played and stuff, so... Um, and of course, lots of people that I didn't know, like kind of supported the campaign, but that was like 
that was where, for at least from my side of things, that's where things really began. Shame, shame. And I was like, wow, there is a possibility to get this done. Where, where did you to go to record with the money? So with the we, we basically met uh, Duncan Bridgman. I don't know if you know his work. So you've got to check out his work. It's amazing. Uh, he created the movie um, One Giant Leap. It's a music... How do you say, babe? What would you... It's like... Music documentary. Uh, musical documentary. Yeah, so oh, right. he, he would travel all over to different parts of the world. He would lay down a track and then he would go to another part of the world and then they would add something to oh, it. Cool. Yeah. So he was I kind of I... the... Per- he was like the... in. Lots of people do that now, but he was kind of the, the, the godfather yeah. of it. Um, and he did it with Jamie Cato from Faithless. Oh, wow. So they were doing this project, One Giant Leap, which was a big kind of success in, I guess, in that whole scene. Um, and then he made another movie called Hecho in Mexico, which for me is, like, so far out. Visually, cinematically, or, you know, musically, it's just an incredible piece of How work. How did you engage with him then? We met him at a party. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> um, of course. So, <laughs> the way I mean, there's, there's lots of corners to this. So I don't want to, you know... But, I mean, Lino could probably tell you more about this part... When we were in the process of coming back, Lino was literally bombarding and writing to endless amounts of producers, um, which freaked me out because I was just like, what are you doing? You know, um, And he got in touch with a guy called Youth, who is the producer of The Verve, that yeah. classic song, you know, Drugs Don't Work, all that. So, he, you know, this guy works with a lot of big artists... <coughs> Um, so that was my actual starting point. I'm going to let Lino continue the story. No, it, it was just a, from one side yeah, to yeah. the other. <laughs> it was just a period of time of two, two to three years that uh, everything was on the edge, kind of. You know, we were kind of believing in this idea of making music, and you know, half of the time you're not sure if you are just a delusional hippie or if there is no, any, or if there's any real substance. You know, I I felt it in my heart, but. But, you know, it's like life just challenging you in every possible way once you pursue something that is uh, is really kind of in your heart. And we were, we were just roaming in London, having, you know, beautiful friends taking care of us and helping us. There was a whole kind of big circle of friends that was supportive, you know, people playing on the album for free and hosting us, giving us shelter, whatever. And we were... We almost we quit every possible kind of job that we didn't want to we do, and we said, okay, we're just gonna go for this, and we see what happened. May the Lord help us, <laughs> you know. And what came out was an album, and and since then things were kind of rolling in in a kind of a good, healthy, organic, moderate way, not in a kind of a, you know, overnight kind of boom and. You know, I, sometimes I wanted it to be this way, you know, yeah, but it's it, it just, going crazy. yeah, you wake up <laughs> and you open the TV and suddenly she's on Jews Holland or something, you know, <laughs> but, you know, I also, we had to go through a lot. She had to go through a lot. I had to go through a lot of like, just. So it's put in contact for listeners. So it really, you, you, Lena, you sort of manage yeah. most of that like business yeah. side of everything. So yeah. you can yeah. really yeah. concentrate yeah. on the music side yeah. and yeah. And so that yeah. business side is yeah. so valuable. Because yeah. it's such a hard it's a minefield. 
you know. Yeah. I, I just have no clue about those sort of things. Is, it, is that something that just naturally happened, or did you actively say, right, I'm going to start doing this? Or? I kind of, we kind of both resisted it because, you know, we, we felt like, you know, we are also a couple in life and this, and we didn't now we're going to be entangled in this way also. In yeah, we're going to say, how does that like work? Pleasure and business right? and all this mess. It was very difficult in the beginning. I mean, we are we are we are just getting more and more kind of uh, together in that sense because I mean, we, maybe we later talk also about the workshops and stuff, but also um, and now the baby and everything. But back then, we really had to learn because I, you ask everyone, they will tell you never do that. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know. It's, it's, but then you always only hear the bad stories. You never hear yeah. good stories yeah. because yeah. no one talks about the good yeah. stories. Yeah, you, you just hear about uh, Tina and Ike Turner and stuff like yeah, that, yeah. you know. But or, there are good stories out dejection, there. Dejections <laughs> or something, you know. Yeah, it was good, but it went through a lot of really difficult that we really had to, I had to learn to develop so much patience, you know, because I'm, I have a little bit more of a manager kind of head, you know, and she, she needs more time. And she has to learn a lot of trust that my her best interest is my best interest mm-hmm. and i'm not going to exploit that yeah, yeah. you know so it, it was a lot of like learning also through the our all past stories and conditions and and the way that we've been kind of designed in in, in our heads you know mm-hmm. and to really break all these limitations and learn how to have faith in one each other and life and everything and in that sense, you know, the first two years or something were really, really difficult, you know, because everything was difficult. There was no money, there was no security, yeah. there was no stability, there was no, there was only a dream, kind of a vague dream. And that dream gets harder when there's no money. Yeah. And, that's the of course. <laughs> and you know, suddenly you have it, you have a, I don't know, a thousand pounds or immediately you throw it on some content or something or <laughs> another hope yeah. another something you know what i mean another pipe dream yeah. Yeah. more emails being sent out yeah, yeah. like before before food you know yeah. and that's what you're doing you're just saying you just yeah emailed everyone that's like what Lena sat online and just yeah. tried to contact everybody yeah. with no response probably from totally. quite a lot of people oh. so you just keep going yeah yeah you're just knocking on london's doors until your ha- your hands break you yeah. know it's like and that, that's what happened and at one point i was like you know what fuck it you know we're just gonna do it we, it's happening yeah everything is all right so you know it's not we're not signed by this or that because we started with these big dreams and actually we worked with this producer like she said and he was he did albums for Pink Floyd and he did Paul McCartney and, it, and, and that even that didn't work for her. So we, we kind of realized that it needs to be simple, organic. It, it really it, freaked me out. Yeah. I got really overwhelmed by it. We were talking like, to um, yeah, it was, Track Not Found local band, Young, young Girls. Yeah. They did the oh, same. Yeah. They got sent to... They've been working in like producers sent us to the crazy studios in London and everything. And, and they were... They were, they were rock, um, I can't remember the name of the studio. I've seen some videos it's, from it. I've lost it now. Um, but a massive studio near Glastonbury, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were over there recording. And it's huge. And they're in this. And it's the first experience. Yeah. Or they've had experiences before and small, but not major experience recording yeah. over a long time. And yeah. you're like, you need that time to kind of develop, yeah. don't yeah, you? Like, yeah. just be with someone really nice. And yeah, yeah. So to did you record from there afterwards? Like, what was the... So, did you find that place where it's nice to record or? I basically worked with 
uh, youth for on one song and I hated it. Um, just because I didn't feel like it was me and it was... I just left Costa Rica. Everything was really overwhelming. I didn't feel like I'd fully gained my confidence in what I was doing e either. Um, and, and so I said no. Because, you know, the plan was to record the album with him and... You know, all my friends were like, oh, my God, it's such an opportunity, blah, mm. blah, blah, blah. And I had all this pressure, and I just felt in my gut it wasn't the right thing. Mm. And the hardest thing for me was, is this fear? Am I sabotaging this opportunity? Or is this legit? Is this, you know, are these feelings legit? And I was really struggling with to understand that for ages because, you know, sometimes we are afraid, but that shouldn't yeah. be a reason why not to do that something. That shouldn't be a reason to, to not give it a go. You know, but I really felt like it wasn't the right thing for me because he wanted to record the album in a week and I was just like, there's no way I can do that in a week. You know, it's like my first project and maybe I'm being all a bit, you know, romantic <laughs> about it, but I just, I need to feel my way through this. I don't mm. want to be like... You know, pull. What's the word? Uh, <laughs> Pushed and then ending up with the wrong result. Yeah. and I yeah. felt like it was kind of going that direction just from doing one song. But then I had so much guilt about it. Oh, it was just. It was really hard. But the very day I said, actually, no, I don't want to work with you, which was really incredibly awkward. Mm -hmm. um, I'll still remember it till the day I die. <laughs> um, yeah, we met Duncan, and it was more relaxed. And Duncan, you know, he'd done all these projects and. So we recorded the album on a boat in Regent's Canal. Is that right, babe? It was in the canals in London. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So everything, <laughs> which was his, that was Duncan's way. That when he did one giant leap in Hecho in Mexico, that's how he did. He travelled. How big was this boat? Was it? Like it was a, a barge. A or? It was a barge. <laughs> you got a drum kit on the side. Yeah, no, it was <laughs> small. <laughs> it was very cozy. Small. You know, but we'd spent, yeah. you know, a good few months. I mean, the album took about two years to make. With lots of gaps in between. Yeah. Um, but also, it had a lot of other musicians. So we, yeah. we were moving around, you know, West London, the laptop, East London. Going here, right, right. Going there. Yeah. A lot of strings, a lot of. It took, it took so long. Yeah. Huh? Did you find that exhausting? Yeah. Yeah. Just being too, almost end, too much. Too, towards the end, I was just like, oh man, this is. We just, you just feel like yeah. you're never going to nail it. You never. Yeah. It felt constantly like. One step forward, one step backward, yeah. and, you know, just like... I think that's the danger in the first album as well, is that yeah. it's almost nice if you have got the opportunity to be able to record something, put it out there, but on a very small scale that doesn't yeah. really matter because... Yeah. Yeah. And you don't you have that fear of, yeah. of being in that circumstance where it's like, it's got to be perfect. And because I did the Indiegogo exactly, thing... Exactly, I was going to say, there's probably a lot of pressure there. There's a lot of pressure because I'd raised all this money... I was like, gee, I can't just like release something that's, you know, mediocre. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. I just felt like people were expecting for the amount raised, you know, to, to have a delivered kind of reflect that. Um, but, you know, a lot of money just went on lots of stuff like PR and, mm. you know, and actually the PR was just like, some of it was good, no, babe? We just went for the whole thing, and but deep inside we knew that we just we just need to do it once to know that it's not working. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And it's, did, was that we when just, you just want to kind of experience that? Yeah, you know. Did, was that things that were you were approaching, or did you like get? Because I see, I mean, most bands now see the amount of copious emails from so-called PR companies yeah. that approach you or. 
DM me on Instagram all the yeah, time yeah. to kind of yeah. I'm a PR agent yeah. and there's so many people scamming people who oh, yeah, look yeah. like they've got yeah. but was it something you you found or was it the right yeah. wrong point or right point to do it is there a right point to do it or it is it was I mean, learning we were learning I, I mean I can say that since then I probably didn't send one email you know I kind of I came to a point that both of us I think we couldn't care less if some email finally will come or a phone call or or the you know the best news ever yeah you know it, it just you let go of it. it just you just it let go of it but but from, from from complete like exhaustion you know you exhaust yourself on the way to get to somewhere and suddenly mm. you realize actually everything is all right yeah. mm. you know what i mean it, like having that relaxing that Relaxing yeah. from it, then suddenly... It, Look, yeah. I remember the moment that it happened, actually. We had the album, album launch in London. And it was big and beautiful, and the whole band, and the whole, you know, and it sold out in London and everything. And our PR guy managed to bring into the place the one person that you want to have. It was the, the main cultural editor of The Guardian or something like that. This woman basically, if she decides that she was, she's gonna make now, I don't know, two, four pages about you, then you're good. Then you're good, yeah. yeah. And she, she came. She makes and breaks it. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we managed to bring her into the room and she didn't like it, oh. you know? Yeah. And I say it now with a smile on my face. You can imagine my face afterward oh. when I heard that, yeah, yeah. you know? Like heartbreaking. No, no I, was, I think I was in bed for a week or something. <laughs> and, you know, but, but realizing looking by looking backward and everything it's all everything is cool you know everything is fine even that was fine and we and and you know you know i mean the music and everything it travels and our life is good and you never know you know i, I guess statistically if you would look at the, at the at the life of those that had these two or four pages in the garden and how they are today you know our our main really wish is to be to be good to be happy yeah. you know to have a smile on our face yeah. you know and all these big dreams and everything you know it just like sometimes it comes, step back sometimes. It comes with the invoice of a misery yeah. you know whatever yeah. we talked about it before like how it's so different in, in england as well like generally we've talked about it a few times on the podcast as well about how like I suppose everyone's dream. England is like, if you've made England, you've made it. In, yeah, to a certain extent. Sure. But at the same time, there's there's so much more out Absolutely. there. There's so many other places. So Europe, as we were saying, yeah. Yeah. America, which just bigger scenes and yeah. more people and yeah. like I, other things to explore. And, you're, and people are supposed to be more open to a certain extent. I think in England, it can be quite quite closed and, and, and limited in some, some regards or... If you if there's two of you doing the same thing at the same time, then yeah. it's 50-50 who's going to win, and the other yeah. person isn't. Whereas actually, that career can still yeah. continue somewhere else. So, look, yeah. look, we realized at one point after the, before, also the album came out, but also after where the invitations came from, and we were just just following the foot footsteps of it. You know, that we brought, just went where the music it just it just brought us to. You know, she played in the in, since the album came out, she played in almost like thirty countries. You know, including. Wow. Coast to coast in the U.S., coast to coast in Australia, wow. Africa, Middle East, everywhere, every possible country in Europe, and we just did it out of our own. So just you two working. Uh, social media, working. you know, yeah. social media. Yeah. But you're saying like, was that still when social media was kind of 
because you had Indiegogo, mm. you were you the right time with social media, which kind of helped. Yeah. Because uh, there's that point now where you can kind of find if you've got 3,000 likes, you're not even near where you should be still. I don't know, or... though, because I've seen bands with, like, 900 likes yeah. and they're, like, playing big stages. I don't even trust Facebook anymore, no. to be no, honest. The All thing. these you're, likes is just bullshit. You're going, you're going around doing the, the gigs that you want to do yeah. at your own pace. Yeah. And, like, it doesn't matter whether you've got a massive following or not. No, whatever. not you're, at you're all. You're doing it because you're actively doing it rather than showing that you're doing it. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think it brings a different quality and... You know, I have, yeah. I mean, I haven't done a lot of gigs recently, but when we were travelling a lot, it would be anything from 100 to 600, you know, or mm. or even 20, you know. I would do anything. I would do gigs in people's houses. I would do gigs in small venues. I'd do bigger gigs, I'd, you know. Festivals. Festivals. Yeah. I mean, you know, I whatever came, I would do. If, you know, if people said, oh will you come to my town, you know, I'd love to hear you play. We'd set it up. Yeah, yeah. You go, okay. Anyone. Anyone, Anyone that invited, anyone. we went there. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. We just nothing did to very lose. Yeah, exactly. But the, uh, no ima- booking agent, doing that. no nothing. Yeah. Imagine if, it, if you became uber famous and trying to do those things. You couldn't do them anymore. No. You'd have to do all the big stuff that yeah. you were told to do. And, and to be honest, like, I've done a couple of, you know, big shows and they're great, but I really love small ones. Mm. I love the small gigs. Yeah. I love to feel the audience. I love to feel the vibe of the space. When it gets really big, although saying that, the one I did in Guernsey, I, that was very special for me. One. Yeah. It was a lovely gig. That it was, was such a nice gig. You know, I was, for me, that was a very special, that was a special one. And that was a big gig. Um, but I felt like all the elements were there that kind of fit the space perfectly. Um, but in general, I really like the small ones. Like, I had a gig in L.A., about a month ago and it was like 200 people that was great you know really intimate and just kind of you know no fanciness like you know what I mean like yeah yeah some of my favourite gigs are the the little ones you know I've been to see bands go go watch bands at festivals and stuff and you're in this massive crowd and half the people are there for other bands and they're yeah. just waiting for the next band and yeah yeah they're just you got no connection between you and the it's true and, and the band and half the time you're so far back you only look at the yeah. screen and mm-hmm. and i know. like to feel the audience because yeah. that really has a big imprint on the way i deliver the music like mm. if it's really sometimes i can feel really spaced out you know if it's a really not that i've had lots of large gigs but you know I don't know. I like to feel the, the energy. And yeah. Do you find the audience is different than wherever you go? Well, yeah. What's the audience's like in different places? There's, is there somewhere where the audience is particular? You enjoy that audience, the way they kind of react? Yeah. Or? I have to say, I really like playing in America. They're very expressive. <laughs> like, you know, whenever I do something with my voice, they go, woohoo! Yeah! Yeah! Right! You know, they get very like lively. And it's really nice. <laughs> it's very American, but it's really sweet. It is quite fun. You yeah. know, yeah. they really like. They really show their appreciation. You yeah. know, it's weird when you go to somewhere else and the audience is really different. Yeah, like completely. Sweden, it's like you're playing. Even if you're playing everything upbeat and everything, they'll sit down and in, and enjoy the whole thing. Sit there in complete silence. So you don't know if they're yes, enjoying it. Yes, I had this in Poland. And yeah. Poland as well. Yeah, like, I had that in Poland a few years ago. I did this gig. It was, just, you know, it wasn't a really big one, but it was, you know, it was, it was big for me. Um, it was the first tour we did, which was in 2015. Was that right, Lino? Yes. Yeah, and um, 
I remember doing this gig and I came off this like it was hard to know in between the songs if they liked it it was very really? you know mm. like very dry yeah, clapping yeah, yeah. and I was like I came off the stage so bummed I was like they fucking hate it <laughs> it's like such a shit gig I really fucking hated that gig and literally I was ready to pack up my stuff and go and then there was a massive queue of people wanting to buy the CD, crying their eyes out, they wanting just... photos of me, like wanting to... And honestly, I could have not... Have sort predicted that. I, yeah. I could have not predicted that. It just... What happened in the concert and what happened afterwards just felt like two different worlds. Mm. So it was good learning for me also because you do see that different countries or different people in different places respond differently to the music yeah. Yeah. some people like to just appreciate it and experience it other people like to show their appreciation yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. it is a cultural thing but it also yeah. goes to say that it's that old saying you never know who's in the room yeah. yeah and even though there can be three people and one person looks super bored at the back of the and room one of them's a sound that man. person <laughs> might be someone who knows someone but he's absolutely yes. adored the whole thing yeah, yeah. 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 a lot of the time you do find those PR guys who stand in and who haven't taken their coat off to watch the gig. They're just there, they haven't had a drink, they go in, they watch it, they leave, and then all of a sudden you've got a review, which is amazing, and it makes such a big difference. But but even not even on that level, even if there's a, a fan there, that wasn't a fan before. It's someone who's going to be like a lifetime, mm. lifelong sort of yeah. really of your work, you know? Yeah. That's, that, that's even more valuable, I think. Yeah. You know? I think that's the other reason why I like the small gigs because then you can actually talk to the people afterwards. Yeah. It can be exhausting sometimes, but like, it's always worth it. For me, mm. it's so important to kind of well, Especially, I suppose, that if connection. that's how you kind of like that career. Because we're going into, you do the... Voice Odyssey as yeah, well. So Odyssey, part yeah. of it is that real connection. Yeah. Part of your show seems to be it's that the, you... It's the Vocal Odyssey. Vocal Odyssey. Yeah. Voice. Voice. <laughs> that's, the new, right. that's the show when it goes on TV. If yeah, you're going to plug it, you're going to plug it right. Voice Odyssey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the yeah. voice. The voice. It's the big blockbuster, that one. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, it, I, can't, I guess that kind of like part of the lineage that, you know, doing music therapy and... You know, for me, from always from the beginning, my the voice was always the main part of my story. Yeah, I play guitar and stuff, but singing was my the main piece of what I do. Um, and it was during that period where it was really hard, where we left Costa Rica, and I was just we all both of us were quite lost. Didn't know where we were going to live. Where we were going to live in Israel? Then there was a war in Israel. In Israel, I was like, I'm not going to fucking live there. Um, <laughs> And so we were kind of in limbo land. And and then I wrote to a friend and I said, I don't know if you know anywhere that teaches or like, you know, trains people in voice therapy. Because I was very curious about it when I finished my degree, but I didn't find anything on voice therapy specifically. It was always on music therapy. And then she sent me some links and I was like, oh, my God, this is brilliant. So I studied for another couple of years, voice therapy diploma. Um, And... Yeah, and then that kind of evolved as well. Like, so for like voice therapy, just to get a bit. So, what yeah. do you mean by like voice therapy? So not speech therapy as such. You basically using the voice as a, a healing modality or as a way to kind of. Um, I mean, I guess in our work, there's there's different elements to it. So it's not just therapy. It's using music and singing as a way to come together in community, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of look at, I, I guess, you know, it's the voice is a mirror. 
you know, from my from my journey, from what I've learned with the voice, is seeing that it's always reflecting back to us what is present. It's it's very mm. you know. And everyone's kind of got one as well. Everyone's got one. Of, you can do. It doesn't matter. Yeah, like, and I think there's so much. It might be getting easier now, but I think there's this whole concept that in order to sing, you have to be good at it, and it's not true because you can really receive a lot of benefits from mm. from singing. I mean, Bob Dylan shows us quite a few examples. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. So we we created these workshops and retreats that we come together, we explore the voice through improvisation, through singing together. Mm. You know, it's kind of like different pillars. You know, the spiritual mm. work. Um, having fun, celebrating, you know, being a bit wild with the voice as well. You don't have to be good at it, you know, at mm. all. You know, people, that's always kind of a common question. It's like, look, I, I'm not really a singer. I'm like, great. <laughs> you know, that's the best, you know. So, yeah, I studied voice therapy. So kind of using it in that way as a healing modality and, you know, so doing also one-on-one sessions with people, um, so they come and so they that, might be they sharing. So, so that it's not that whole. Yeah. So from the touring and then you have the side where you're going, making music, playing shows, yeah. and then you've got the whole. Because we were saying before, you get to travel, and it's it's really difficult if you're a band. And yeah. Yeah. People that are looking, then you you go from either one place to the other, sort of every day if you're lucky to be able yeah. to be touring. But at the same time, you guys get to stay in the same place forever, and you get to do the courses at the same time. That sort yeah. of links the gigs together. To yeah, a it extent. actually became and the business card. You know, mm. for the workshops, you know, people that would hear the music would come to the workshops. You know, they, they get very much, um, they felt very touched by the music and then they wanted to come and experience the workshops. So that was also, you know, really great. I suppose, like, do you think that's been the reflection of all of that and then that Costa Rica, the commune, yes. the, everything kind of ties yeah. in that kind of... Yeah, it, it is, at least in the beginning, the work that we did with The Voice was very much influenced by this center in Costa Rica where we used to live. Then it kind of took a different direction. It, it, it's going more into the areas of, uh, you know, our our human nature, our, 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 our troubles, our pains, our need to connect, our need to feel safe and, and loved by ourselves and by others, this... You know, we look at the voice as a kind of a relational medicine. It, it's, mm. it's the medicine of of relating to others. When yeah. we sing together, it doesn't matter what's your story, what's my story. We just look at each other and we feel this 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 human connection, this bond. You know, and this is what we're working with because in our day and age, you know, the voices belong to those that God touched them with a with a holy stick or something, you know. Yeah. And what we're trying to do with this work is bring back the voice to the people. Yeah, yeah. As a as a means for celebrating who we are and 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 singing and praying and and grieving through the voice, mm. expressing pain, whatever is, is there. It, everything comes down. It's like chants from folk songs passed on to everything. Yeah. It's kind of. Yeah. Like, like the ability to sing, to be so exposed. People are, are when it comes to the voice, there's a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of unworthiness, yeah. a lot of like, you, of you, you're, not, you're not supposed to sing. <laughs> yeah. All this is coming up. So it's, it's a bit... Yes. Yeah. So it, in that sense, it's a psychological work. It's a, it's a psychotherapy work, you know. And, 
and this is what this is what we love about it. It's where it's where a healing is happening. Mm. You know, like all these wounds can be worked through the voice, you know, and can be channeled through. And that's what we love about it. It's very it, you see people in their in their beautiful nakedness, you know, in their vulnerability, you know. Like without the masks or whatever. That, mm. that, that's why we love singing together and voicing together and improvising together, taking <laughs> taking risks together. Mm. I, I, I think that's probably part of the reason why like there's such a community around music is yes. 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 gathering yeah. of people around yeah. instruments yeah. and playing together and Absolutely. sharing stuff and totally. learning learning with each other. Yeah, and, you know. it's the community for the weird and the wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I always I, I was never sort of properly a musician, you know, I kind of stuck in the A, a minor G or something, you know. <laughs> the classic I never I never I never crossed still stuck there. I, I, I never crossed that barrier, you know. But I always since I remember myself like for me being her manager and, and doing all this was kind of natural because since I remember myself I was I was around musicians kind of helping them, you know. That yeah. I always felt deep empathy towards musicians. I, I, I could see all of my life how much it takes, how much energy and and everything it takes just to come into the point that your guitar is plugged, mm. people are there. Oh, that's really cool. You know? And then and then so, so often like I don't know the sound will be shit or something or yeah. even that you know. So I always had this kind of compassion towards musicians. Because if you say you're not a musician as well, I think it co there's, a, there's a big thing that people don't learn a lot of the time as well. Is you don't have to be a musician to be involved in music no yeah. at yeah. all and yeah. there's so many other things like your position being manager and you're involved you're constantly around it you're, yeah and you're a key part of that without that the musicians don't have sure. anything Ooh. else and there's all these yeah. other bits i wish everyone needs a sound man sound <laughs> like yeah <laughs> i think there's a big part that people don't see a lot of kids don't see as well it seems to be putting we're always put into that category of it's like either you're a great musician and then you can just do that as a musician. Yeah. If you're not good enough, then you can't succeed. Or, or there's nothing else, and you can't go into that, or you've got to be in this category, or you've got to... It's the yeah. same jobs as sort of yeah. split. Whereas actually, you can just yeah. be like passionate about it and still work within yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like, and whether it's from managing to PR yeah. to lighting yeah. to being part of that world, and, yeah. you know, you can do your thing and enjoy it. And that's yeah. Really I mean, I found, I found it surprisingly with the voice because, you know... It, Suddenly, I found myself. We spoke about it before, m even more like working closely with her twenty four seven, like w in the workshops. I found myself also studying voice therapy, going constantly to study with you know with the biggest teachers I know about the voice, about improvisation. Like, just came back from New York a few months ago, working with Bobby McFerrin. Oh, amazing! Yeah, I had the whole week with him. Oh. Like, Amazing. I'm just like, I'm just going to these guys because there's like this, this art, this beautiful art of creating music in the moment, you know, mm. and something that will never be recorded or remembered is yeah. just being celebrated at that point. And there were moments there that we were 150 people in a room and him and another 15 teachers and the music that was created there just in the moment, completely improvised. I swear to you, only with a voice, it was the best music I heard in my life. And nothing left out of it. Yeah, it was yeah, just yeah. gone like 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 you, when you do something beautiful, like it's, it's Castle on the... It's the same with going to go see a gig, though. Like yeah. some, some of the best musical moments I've ever experienced. Yeah. 
at a live gig and you can't recreate that on any record yeah, yeah. like you know sometimes you get a record that just blows you away because they've captured something like yeah that. but it's, but it's never the same yeah it's, it's never the same so it's not, yeah just for it's those a, that have never seen Bobby or anything if you go to Bobby McFerrin there's the Ave Maria he does on one yes. of his live concerts yeah. which I think kind of recreates slightly that feeling where yeah. he managed to get the crowd to kind of sing along yeah. just with him and you can sort of get that feel. Yeah, this is the work we do a lot in the groups. It's like one come to the center and start to give parts. Mm. And it's completely intuitive, completely in the moment, you know, and, and slowly, slowly, sometimes it can sound like, like properly like horrible stuff. <laughs> but then out of it suddenly comes something. Something, yeah. You know, out of the chaos, out of the mess. Mm. Maybe we know? have to have sounds this like one jam night. It sounds like jazz. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We should have he a can. vocal part of one of the jam nights. Yeah, yeah. that'd be really cool. Jam nights this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it'd be amazing. You know, you you bring the boys in the in one area of the circle, and you know, slowly, slowly, all the way to the yeah. soprano, and you know, you know, we start well, start with some bass thing. We and book something at the tavern for next year. So we can yeah, <laughs> can be really fun. Yeah, yeah. It is. It is a work that that just makes you happy. You know, sing, you know, you know. It's for yourself, guys. In whatever you do, which instrument you're playing or singing, you know, it's just, why are you doing it? Because it makes you happy. Mm. Yeah. It, it makes you feel alive. Yeah. You know, that's why we do it ourselves. You yeah, know, totally. I think we are in the same story, you know, somehow. That's amazing. You know. I think, I think that's probably the best words to, <laughs> yeah. anything else. No, like Bobby Singh, don't worry, be happy. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the best place to finish it, because on those words, I think we can get better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for oh, coming. Thank, thank you. Thanks for recording all that. Yeah. That amazing. It's really cool having the kid in the background. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. Like, a few moments. Yeah. I was worried for a moment that it would be. <laughs> I don't know, it's good. Unusable. It's, good. <laughs> <laughs> it's nicer to have that in the background than us you yeah. just opening up hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we can come also next week, just for the baby sound. Yeah, yeah, let's do this again. Okay.